with these smart contracts, if they're running on a public blockchain network, as we've seen with numerous hacks and all the different you know, failures there's been really with this, is that they're so vulnerable. Like software is impossible to write perfectly, right? No one, the best programmer in the world, right? They, they're still making mistakes. You know, people are only human, but also it's hard. Like I've never seen a piece of software that's complete. You have very elegant, nice software that's well-written, but at the same time, there's always things you could be doing with it. The real challenge with smart contract development is that, especially on public blockchain networks, is that people can't afford to make mistakes with it. And so it's in effect a critical system. Hey, it's Connor Svensson here. This is a bonus episode of the Web3 Innovators podcast where following my conversation with Josh Laurie from VMware, he wanted to ask me a few questions. So I decided to indulge and this is the result of that conversation. I hope you enjoy this bonus. I do have a few questions for you that have been burning a hole through my through my brain. So the first one is, if you had to make a wager, if you had to bet, what are the top three protocols that will capture 80% of the market in the next 10 years and why? And I think why this question is important, Connor, and why it's been burning a hole through my head is that in every single technology space, top three players capture 80% of the market time and time again. And then you have a long tail of the 20% where you have thousands of different options that capture one or 2%, but it's really the top three, right? So if you look at cloud, going back to that theme that we pulled through this show, you know, you got AWS, Azure, and Google, okay? Then there's thousands of other cloud providers out there that offer great options, but they're tiny. So this is why this question is important and you have a unique perspective on things. I'm also no, not too much of a gambling man, but uh, I'll, I'll certainly give my uh, two cents on this stuff. And so, first of all, when, when we talk about different pr protocols, like we say Ethereum and its entire ecosystem, right? It's yes. like all the layer twos and so on. So things like Polygon and you know various other ones, they all count there. So yeah, in, in my mind, definitely number one, Ethereum. Now the and. By extension, I guess, when you look at the, I've got coin market cap up here, just seeing in terms of where things are, I'd put Binance Smart Chain within that bucket as well, because it's an Ethereum compatible chain. Now, the other ones, you have things in there like Ripple, Cardano. I'm going to ignore meme coins like Doge and you know, just the Shibu token and so on. But you've got like Solana, Polkadot and those, I think, are the kind of the key ones. Like in my mind right now, and Ethereum, I've always felt that it's like the Linux of this generation in terms mm -hmm. of you know, back, back in the late 90s and early 2000s when Linux was gaining momentum. I was very into like Sun Solaris and got into the Open Solaris thing and then saw what happened with Linux and it kind of left the other Unix operating systems for dust. So, yeah, I do firmly believe in that. But then in terms of the others, I think that... Personally, I think that Polkadots has got a good position in terms of there's a lot of technologists who have got behind it. And it's not to sort of talk about, you know, which ecosystem has the best technologists or anything like that. I think, you know, most blockchains have got some incredibly talented technologists working on them. But from a personal perspective, I think that Polkadot, they're doing some things right there. They're building a strong ecosystem. They do have some very strong technology in terms of what they've done there. 
So I think their sort of model there of having this this layer zero blockchain and then these parachains, which are kind of permission chains spun up on top, seems to be you know viable. The other though as well, I think it probably at this point in time be Solana. And that's again, like it's a technology driven, the Solana team, they were, they were always fans of Ethereum. You know, they were never there trying to displace the Ethereum virtual machine, regardless of what people said. Um, you know, ultimately they've gone out and they've created like a solid technology. And yes, it's not without issue, but certainly, you know, the way in which they're doing it, it it is kind of different to other chains. But I think right now, those would be the ones. Now, again, like to reiterate all the EVM stuff that's out there, things like Polkadot and I'm just trying to see which other ones are actually there in the, you know, in in terms of the, the market cap. They're definitely going to be there because there's so many. We we all know the longer term transition is about layer twos on Ethereum and possibly layer threes as well. But I think that Solana and Polkadot, those would be the two other ones. But I am slightly biased as well because I'm a technologist. And so I think the technology side like pulls me in there. But they, they definitely do have very vibrant ecosystems. I know a lot of people who are still engaging with the Solana ecosystem and certainly Polkadot. There was a recent Electric Capital report on developer ecosystems. Yes, and yes. Polkadot was really high up that list there as well. And you know, not to say it's the only source of truth on this stuff, but it did really kind of show how much was going on there. Yeah, it's good to make bets, right? I think we should revisit this in a year's time, Connor, and see see where we're at, right? And then 10 years, we can figure it out, right? Uh, looking back. But yeah, I mean, those are really good guesses. It's interesting. I think one of the top threes and something that is going to come from behind, like come up through the ranks, will be something like a Filecoin because of all the off-chain storage, right? That's happening. Most of these systems that are being built right now, it's, yeah, you're putting some of the most important things on the chain, but all of the archival data and analytics and all that stuff is just is out there on a centralized database. And so we're like half in, half out of this ecosystem, right? And so Filecoin is actually coming out with it, FVM, their own virtual machine, and it'll be Ethereum compatible and you can run smart contracts right on top of that blockchain. But I, I think Amazon and Azure and Box and all, you know, Dropbox, all of these players better watch out because that that's going to come from behind pretty quick. Once people figure out it's cheaper, it's more secure, it can run all these workloads and smart contracts, that'll be in a top three just because it's a different angle, but it also is a very important one. Yeah, so I certainly agree that the decentralized infrastructure projects have got a big part to play in the future. I think like right now where there's still some challenges is just with respect to their utility tokens, right? Because you kind of have this association of the price of a utility token is determined by the market, which includes a lot of speculation. And so when things are sky high, the team are like, great, you know, we've got more runway because most of our treasury is in our utility token, but then it's more expensive for people to use the service. But then when like fees are really low, chances are there they might be cutting costs or trying to find ways to do things differently. And that kind of, we need to find a way to separate that, I think, you know, and it may, maybe it is going to be through more traditional rails or just using like crypto, the more widely used cryptos as the common kind of payments, as opposed to just, you know, doubling down on the utility token narrative. Yeah, this is a very interesting concept because all of what you talked about, right, is utility tokens. You talk about Polygon or Stark or any any of these, right? So in the down market, it's, it's a struggle because that's how they're paying their employees. That's how the ecosystem is functioning. Same thing with Filecoin. So I, I always think about it as like 
if a company is doing well and it goes IPO and then it continues doing well, the stock price appreciates if it's not being manipulated in the stock market or shorted or something like this, right? And so how do you have the same concept with a utility token? How do you balance out the market of the utility token with something like an IPO or a DAO later on down the road? I don't know. I mean, these are things that are are structural to the organization itself so that it can insulate itself through really good times and also really bad times. Yeah, and then, and that's where they they almost become two separate considerations, and certainly where where I think we, with some of the other protocols, I think the Ethereum name service is a good example because people have to pay with Ether in order to yes, yes. buy a ENS name, but then you have a separate ENS token which has got nothing to do with buying domain names, but what it does is used for his governance of the protocol and they have a good balance sheet they've built out because they have a successful business and so at least you have that sort of separation there and i i would envisage that you kind of need to have that as you, as you say with your example where you have a company that gets listed on an exchange it's not like they're forcing all their users all of a sudden to pay for to use the service with their That's stock right, right? and uh yeah, because that, that, that would get a bit tricky for people yeah this balance of of both i think is interesting it can help in especially in really bad times, which we've just went through a big downturn. So, but th- this is when all the, the best stuff gets built. Absolutely. It is through these brush fires. So few distractions. Yeah. The, the only other one I would add, and we talked about this in the beginning is, is Bitcoin. I think that will come up, right? The major thing that people say against Bitcoin, well, it doesn't have a programmable layer, a smart contract layer, but I think companies or protocols like Stacks and Trust Machines and Lightning Labs with Taro, which you can mint any digital asset on Bitcoin, the Lightning Network itself. I think all of these ecosystems, because it has such a strong base of you know investors right now and then companies and nations plugging into it, that's something to watch, right? I don't think it's going to supplant Ethereum from a programmable perspective and, and building new applications and things like that, but it will be core to, to the infrastructure and it could become like the money layer or payments layer of the internet. So that, that's the only one I would add to the list. My top three is, is kind of Ethereum, Bitcoin, and, and Filecoin. Uh, and then the rest will be kind of long tail. Do we have time for one more question? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, why not? Go for the gusto. Okay, so I, I look at this a lot because we just talked about all the, the bets we would make on technology and what's going to be top. But it's people that are going to be driving this. It's skill set and experience that's going to be driving this. And so let's just look at some stats. There are 10, 11 million Java developers in the world that are sitting on the bench in these enterprise companies out doing freelance consulting and stuff like that. My last gander, Electric Capital and some of these other numbers at Solidity developers, this is not Ethereum core developers, but Solidity developers that know the language, it's probably around 200,000, maybe a little bit more. I don't know. But that, that's the latest stat that I saw. How do we as a community, Connor, narrow that skills gap? Because you got 10 million Java developers that could be writing to this new ecosystem, but are not. And besides the basic things of, yeah, I'm going to hire expensive Ethereum consultants to write my app for me, and that I don't have that skill set in-house. And I have to, you know, most of these systems are going to be around for 20 to 30 years, going back to the financial examples, right? So how do I maintain and improve those systems? And then the other usual answer is, well, training and education. Yes, of course, we're going to have to do training and education. It's going to be an academic thing. It's got to be in schools. We're going to do that. But 
how in the meantime can we close the skills gap? I think you are uniquely uh, positioned to answer that question. Yeah, it's it's a very very challenging one because as you as you said when we spoke this this idea of blockchains they bring about this outside in thinking rather than the kind of inside out you had before and you know what this means in in practice is that with these smart contracts if they're running on a public blockchain network as we've seen with numerous hacks and all the different you know failures there's been really with this is that they're so vulnerable like software is impossible to write perfectly right no one the uh, best programmer in the world right they they're still making mistakes you know people are only human but also it's hard like i've never seen a piece of software that's complete you have very elegant nice software that's well written but at the same time there's always things you could be doing with it the real challenge with smart contract development is that especially on public blockchain networks is that people can't afford to make mistakes with it and so it's in effect a critical system you've got to think of it akin to you know what what you have with and i say this the software for well i I say this as examples say you know flying planes or nuclear safety and so on but again like these pieces of software can kind of be developed in silos to a point so there's they're not subject to quite the same attack vectors so i think my point with all of this is that it's so hard to get this stuff right and then even when you do have the software right how do you manage any dependencies that it's using if there's another library that they use that they need to upgrade to a later version or a vulnerability gets found and we've we've seen certainly some of this stuff with the conventional open source software world when there was like an ssh vulnerability or one of one of the kind of core i can't remember if it was tls or ssh but there's there was like a um you know one of these libraries had like a vulnerability there and it just caused havoc there in corporates and so where i am right now is i don't see a solution to this i just think that there are you know blockchains are a new type of critical system and it's going to remain hard to get that stuff right now if you have a ring fence network um where there's you know it's not a public network but it's permissioned in some way that certainly gives a little bit more leeway with that and so that can help but the other side it's really comes down to not trying to do anything too fancy with it try and stick to the 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 fundamental logic that you need there because as long as you stick to keeping things simple there there's going to be libraries that you can work with to help create say the boilerplate code so you don't have to fill in as much detail there so it's not an easy solution and i think unless you can get to that point where you have some nice generators that basically say you know i need a token with these properties and it goes off and builds that that those are the ways we're going to have to go but when you're talking with a public blockchain network like the it's it's really hard to get right because there's a big bounty there in effect for any attacker or honeypot sorry yeah, no, it is a hard uh, problem, Connor, and, and that's why I was poking you on it. And two of the other things I think about, you brought up one of them, was if you're you know, a CIO, CTO, you're owning the technology, VP of engineering in one of these big corporations, would you be okay with, well, let's say you have a whole bunch of Java developers and, and you know you're going to go down the Ethereum route, but they don't really understand it yet. Would you be okay with them using things like what you developed, right? Which is the Web3 SDK, the Web3J SDK, and kind of taking the edge off a little bit to write into this new ecosystem. And then also something that's coming up recently that everybody's talking about is AGI, right? It's not there yet, but like if you could check your code through a artificial generated intelligence, like ChatGPT or something like that, 
that could help close a skills gap. What do you think about those two things? Thanks. So I think with the, the AGI example, yeah, that could certainly help. But of course, if it's trained on data sets that subsequently are found to have errors, then it's going to be suggesting yes. the wrong thing, right? So that's a, a problem there. And w- w- with respect to like, like what we've done in the past with Web3J, where we provide like scaffold projects so people can... And it starts with like, you can generate a hello world project. So it takes care of a lot of the heavy lifting there. So all you have to do is say, give, create a wallet address and fund it. And then you can deploy a smart contract. And we did a similar thing for tokens as well. And so these sorts of ways are really the the best way to help mitigate this because you know, if you can work with the boilerplate, then it makes life a lot simpler. And and certainly yeah. there's, you know, I guess a number of platforms that are emerging as well to kind of, you know, simplify the developer experience that way. So I think really what it comes down to in, this, in, in the same way that you had frameworks in the past that you know, did things like object relational mapping, for instance, in the world of databases, you know, they take care of a lot of that heavy lifting so people can think of the essence of what the problem they're trying to solve rather than thinking, how do I define this in terms which, you know, work with this underlying technology? I think we'll get to a similar thing of abstraction with blockchain technology. However, it's going to be a bit more rigorous, you know, in terms of because the, the margin for error is you know, that much less than what you'd have with like a traditional software system, which is running, you know, within a siloed data center or it's not, you know, not being exposed to a public network. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, that's, that's what that's I have for you. you. Cool. Yeah, well, uh, there's more questions. We'll leave that for another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're always happy to chat about this stuff, and it's, it's fun to be asked some things as well. We'll, we'll tack it on. <laughs> yeah, the tables have turned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cheers, Josh. Thanks for listening to this episode. I have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it. Leave a five-star rating and review it. Even if it's just a few words, we'd love to hear from you, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Until next time.